This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi, and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Mark, and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of the show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about, a bit about alcoholism, what it is, and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guests to read the preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Hi, I'm Josie and I'm an alcoholic. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness of or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you don't have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you're an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need to help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking the first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted their life could ever be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety, one day at a time. The program has a proven track record of helping otherwise helpless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. 
Okay, for anyone just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Would you like to introduce yourself and uh, tell us a quick sketch of who you are, your age, um, how long you've been sober in occupation? Sure. I'm Josie and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I'm 69 and I've been sober about nine and a half years, so I waited until I was nearly 60 to come into AA. Um, so today I'm retired and uh, yeah, I worked all my life really until retirement. Um, life's great. Thanks. And could you tell us about your family, uh, where you're from, where you grew up in your childhood? Sure. I <clears throat> was born in Christchurch, the oldest of six children. And uh, my parents didn't drink in the home or anywhere, really. So I didn't really grow up around alcohol. But there was a lot of other dysfunctional things that happened and so I spent a lot of childhood my brothers and sisters and I in various children's homes and foster homes and then yeah so for many many years we were there was upheaval and um, I can remember one time counting how many times I'd changed primary school and I'd changed 18 times so you know I didn't really learn how to make friends or or anything like that I just always felt a bit like an outcast yeah um, I lived a lot of fantasy in my mind about becoming somebody beautiful or famous or admired and um, never felt like I measured up really oh, thanks Josie and uh, when did you start drinking and how did it progress? Uh, well, because there was no... My mother would buy a bottle of a sherry at Christmas just to put in the trifle, which we all had. The children all had trifle with sherry in it. My mum's friend uh, would make parsnip wine, uh, which I loved, and I'd help my brothers and sisters to drink theirs. So as a child, I did love something about it but I wasn't really exposed to much alcohol I was um, pregnant very young and um, I think I was probably pregnant when I had my first drink uh, that's 50 years ago and, and nobody really warned you not to do that and I did like it I felt really grown up and you know, I felt um, that I'd begun to fit in a bit yeah but the first uh, sort of party that I went to I got horrendously drunk and really really ill um, and the other people who were around me hadn't got ill like that uh, there was just something about it uh, once I started I just wanted more of it yeah, was there a pattern to your drinking and, the, and also why you drank? The main reason I drank, I think, for many years, the main reason was to be able to talk to people 
you know, to, to be able to have a conversation and, um, yeah, it just seemed like part of the crowd thing, you know. I, uh, I, mm, I, I was in a group of young people. We had a, um, like a Christian youth group. And at our parties, it would be the boys standing around in the kitchen having glasses of beer, and the girls would all be in the lounge drinking orange juice. Not me. I always wanted to be with the with the boys, well, with the beer, you know. And, uh, yeah, didn't really fit in, and they didn't want me in there. Mm. <laughs> and the girls didn't understand why I didn't want to sit and drink orange juice. Yeah. And did you ever um, did you ever feel that it was becoming a problem, or did you ever try to stop? No, never tried to stop. I didn't think it was a problem for many, many years. I um, <clears throat> yeah, I started one by the time I was married and and the children were growing up. Uh, I was starting to go out to the garage and get little bits out of the bottles of spirits and then top them up with a bit of water and I was horrified one day when I went out to the garage and one of the bottles had a very faint little pencil line on the label and I knew that my husband had cottoned on to (laughs) maybe what I was doing and he was just testing it out so that really annoyed me actually Um, I had to stop doing it yeah Mm. I didn't but as life progressed and I became single and uh, I found myself in a group of people who loved to drink like me. Uh, it was a large social group for people in their 40s to 60s and uh, I found the group that loved to party. There were other groups of people who just went to the theatre or out for meals and did nice things like go for walks together. Well, not me. Uh, I was part of the group that we had parties. We went on bus trips. We just drank. It was great, like it says in the big book, hilarity and, you know, fun. It was fun for many, many years. Mm. Yeah. And what made you realise you needed help? Like, were there consequences like relationships or jobs or law or... um, yeah, any troubles? Oh yes, I began to. <clears throat> I began to fall, fall over. I'd be out somewhere and I'd fall in the street or somewhere. People would have to help me to get up, and would all laugh about it. You know. Uh, eventually, people stopped wanting to help me to get up, and they, towards the end stopped wanting to drink with me because I I was just completely, you know, out of control really. Uh, relationships stopped. Uh, I, I just stopped putting any energy into them, into my relationships. My life became smaller and smaller. I <clears throat> ended up living alone again. And by then I'd stopped going out to drink. I just drank on my own. And 
I didn't think anybody knew. Um, the lady at the supermarket where I'd go every morning at seven to get a cask of wine started to give me funny looks and I had to start going to a different place on my way to work. I'd put the cask of wine in the boot and then I'd get out to go into work but I'd have to check the boot. That, that obsession to make sure I had enough alcohol to go home with. And then I'd go home and do the things that had to be done, one of which was go and see my mum and uh, in a rest home, so I'd do that. Sometimes I'd have to have a drink or two before I did it, but I frequently walked to see her and um, came home, took the phone off the hook and got into it, just began, you know always intending not to drink as much as last night and I'd get up in the morning and there'd be dishes on the bench that I couldn't remember cooking or eating uh, I woke up uh, frequently with bruises on me that I couldn't remember I'd, there'd be wine spilled across the carpet um, there'd just be a mess, just a mess. Um, yeah. And how did how did you feel? Like, what was your mental, emotional um, well being like? And and if so, and if did you have a rock bottom? Yes. Yeah. Before I came here, um, I'd become more and more den- in denial about my drinking. When my doctor said, "How much are you drinking?" I said just one or two a day, but I, it was bottles, really. You know, I had all sorts of tricks up my sleeve for measuring how much I'd drunk. I had a, I weighed a full cask of wine, and then I, um, the next morning when I weighed it again, rather than looking, I don't know why I just didn't look at it, uh, try and gauge how much I was drinking, because, you know, bottles were too evident. Anyway, I, I started drinking the cheapest, most effective wine I could find. Sitting at home, blocking out. Um, and then my rock bottom came. New Year's Day <clears throat> 2013, I was invited to a barbecue with my workmates for dinner lunchtime. And then we were all going to uh, watch the cricket can't remember who was playing and I took my two bottles of wine and I sat at the table in the dining area with some of the others and we had a few drinks and laughs and talked about New Year's Eve which I couldn't remember New Year's Eve but I knew I hadn't been anywhere I hadn't had the fun that everybody else had had I drank my two bottles of wine and then after a wee while I realised that everybody else had left that table and they were all eating barbecue and um, watching cricket and they'd just left me sitting there and my wine had gone so I just got up and got more out of their fridge, drank that and still nobody. I began to get really annoyed that nobody was sitting with me and... Um, so I took more wine out of their fridge, got in my car and drove home. 
shouldn't have been driving, of course, but I got home that day without hitting anything. And that was New Year's Day. So we had another week before we were back into the year, back at work. And I began to really look ahead and think to myself, I can't do this another year. I've really had enough. And I know that I can't not drink, you know. I I knew that I would drink anyway. The only option I could come up with was uh, maybe dying, you know. And I didn't, yeah. So how did you find your way to your first AA meeting? Uh, Well, eventually that that week, those nights, I still tried to... uh, Yes, I still tried to manage the drinking, um, but but really I was just seeking oblivion. My drinking had always taken me into some area of fun, um, and when it stopped doing that, I just wanted to be oblivious. So I tried that those few nights, and then I I had a conversation with somebody about my drinking and possible alcoholism. And I rang up the AA line, and this lovely lady said to me, "We can take, get you come round and talk to you." And I, no, 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 thank you anyway. Um, and then I rang more than once again, I think, and spoke to the same lady. And eventually, I did agree that she could send somebody around and take me to a meeting. So I went to my first meeting in Spencer Street must have been the 8th of January, and um, three ladies there, three women, surrounded me and looked after me and got me to the next meetings. How did you feel about that experience? I was intrigued, really. I didn't know whether I belonged in the room, but gradually, for a long time, I couldn't say I was Josie and I was an alcoholic. I just kept saying I don't know if I am. But the more I heard the people talk about their experiences, the more I related. I related to how they hid alcohol in their, from their family. I related to how they uh, isolated. And I related to what they said about trying to get, you know, try, always thinking about the next drink. And thinking they could control it. I did all that. I knew all that. Can you describe how you stayed sober and ensure your sobriety? Well, the first thing I was told was go to meetings. Go to a meeting every day to start with, which I did. I went every day. And um, I didn't want to quite often. And then they said to get a sponsor um took me a little while looking around. They said, oh, you know, women for women and men for men. So I looked at the ladies and they all looked very polished and, and lovely. And, uh, you know, I didn't know whether one of them might be able to be my sponsor, but one said yes. And, um, and we started on the steps. And uh, 
So I've managed to stay sober through, and I have found my way back to my higher power. Um, so I get up in the morning now, and I spend my time doing some prayer and meditation. I go to regular meetings, and I try and apply the steps into my life. And um, sometimes I've told myself I haven't done this as well as other people have. But somehow or other, God has helped me to do it well enough to want to keep mm. doing it. How important has service been to your recovery? Um, I've done a number of service positions. At the moment, I'm, um, I have a service position in a meeting. Uh, my current sponsor tries to encourage me to do more. And um, I've had a small... Uh, health concern just lately and I've used that as a reason that I haven't been able to do much more service but um, yes I want to I admire people who you know they're just always there helping the next person Mm. and I suppose the basic thing I can do in the way of service is to share at a meeting when I'm asked and um you know, you never know whether something you say might help somebody. Mm. Yeah, even if it's only one person in a room that might get something out of what you say. Yeah. Yeah. And how how would you describe your life today? My life today is wonderful. It's serene most of the time. I can I can ruin that by my thinking if I'm you know I I can still be a bit controlling and still think my self-will will will organise things I'm still a bit self-reliant and um, they don't if I let those things get too big in the the day they don't help you know my day can go to custard I just have to bring myself back to knowing how powerless I am over alcohol and I'm powerless over a lot of other things in life. And it's not my worry. So today I have a fantastic relationship. I have a great life. I'm loved. And that's one of the big things I've learned. I'm lovable. And I'm able to love. And I always doubted that before. I'm so grateful to AA. Bringing God back into my life. And I've made some wonderful friends. And you have any goals for the future? Goals? Uh, well, my goal is yeah, more of what I've got. Yeah, Just that simple daily application of AA and the steps and God in my life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, they describe AA as a spiritual program. Um, what does spirituality mean to you? It's the absolute core. It's the reason I get up in the morning. Uh, If I get up a bit later and don't spend my time in my prayer and, you know, doing some meditation, I don't feel quite right. It's so important Mm. to me. It's the basic ingredient of a good day. Thanks, Josie. And what would you suggest to anyone who thinks they might have a drinking problem? If you think you have a drinking problem and you're like me, 
and you've tried not to admit that you have a drinking problem for a, a week or a year or longer, a lifetime, uh, inside you, you probably know different. And AA is a proven program. And um, we, we just want to help you. We're available and uh, you'd be most welcome. Well, Josie, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your story with us. Thank you. For our listeners, if you've related to anything you've heard or would like some information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz where you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with a serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, God grant me the serenity to accept the things, the things I cannot change, change courage to change the things, things I can, and the wisdom, wisdom to know the difference. difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.